This is the podcast of the German Historical Institute London, a research centre dedicated to supporting and connecting students and scholars from Britain and Germany. The podcast series presents current research in British, German and European history, as well as colonial and global history. For more information on the German Historical Institute London, future events, the GHIL Library, studentships and more podcast episodes, please visit our website at ghil.ac.uk. How have India's colonial past and its life as a post-colonial nation-state shaped the history of climate change, particulate matter and germs and viruses in the region? What is the relationship between these histories and India's urban modernity? In this GHIL podcast interview, GHIL Senior Fellow and Head of the India Research Program Indra Shingupta and PR Officer Kim Koenig are joined by Avadendra Sharan, Director and Professor at the Centre for the Study of Developing Societies in Delhi, to talk about the research behind his GHIL lecture on India's atmospheric modernity. Smoke, Particulate Matter, and the Modern City. Welcome, Avadendra. Thank you for agreeing to speak to us today. We are very happy to have you on our GHIL podcast. Jumping right in, your topic is air pollution and climate and concern with environment in India and Indian history. And I was wondering, how did interest in pollution kind of air quality come about and develop in India? What kind of concerns preceded this interest and how did it develop over time? Well, thank you for, for inviting me. Two different questions that you asked me. One yeah. is what's my interest in this issue and the other concerns uh, in how I came to do the research that I can speak about. Uh, the issue itself, where we stand at the moment, is a more complicated issue than I had initially researched. And I'll come to that in a moment because what has happened in the last couple of years is in addition to pollution through particulate matter, which is usually what we call air pollution, there's also been concerns raised about climate-related issues and now more recently around COVID and viruses. So if one were to ask the question today, what is the air that we breathe and what should we be concerned about, it's obviously a far bigger issue than just the question of particulate matter. That's where I am, and that's what I'm trying to do now, is to see how we can expand this. In terms of the history of air pollution itself, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a personal history. I was doing a book on Delhi, where I came across a stray reference uh, that if uh, Hava, which is adjacent to the city of Calcutta, had originally been part of Calcutta, maybe Calcutta would not have suffered from air pollution because of the industry that got located in Havra. And this is a book I was doing in Delhi, and they were concerned whether which parts of Delhi should become parts of New Delhi, and will that help or not help. So that's the beginning of the search uh, for a history of air pollution. So I went looking into these histories, and much of this history that you get is around sanitation, which is a familiar theme. A lot of people have worked on it. And that concerned rotten matter, how given heat and humidity in this part of the world, uh, this is far more than what happens in Europe, I mean, the miasma, foul air, etc. There's very little reference to industrial pollution. It almost seemed like for some parts of the world, the kind of pollution that we're interested in 
had to do with bad quality of air, which had to do with decaying vegetation, uh, animals and things like that. For Western Europe, it was going to be about industrial pollution. What I try to do and what I hope to speak about in the lecture is a history of concerns with industrial pollution and air pollution from industry in other parts of the world. In my case, this is around India in two cities of Calcutta and Bombay, which were the two big industrial hubs that emerged in the colonial period. So that's the background of my interest in this uh, topic. And uh, to my surprise, I found a lot of material. A lot of material in the sense that prior to the time that I started doing my own research, there was one essay available, a very good essay, but only one essay available on this theme. So as I dug deeper, I thought there was more material to work with. In that sense, it was big. Having said that, compared to water forests and other issues of concern in the Columbia, air pollution was a limited issue. Thank you. Perhaps I can push you a little bit on this and, you know, can take our discussion a bit further. Yeah, so those of us who grew up in Indian cities, big cities in India, air pollution was all around us. And it surprises me, therefore, that what you have been doing in your research, which is really bringing together not just air pollution, industrial pollution, and environment together, but really in the context of urban studies, the history of cities and the history of mega cities, as it were. And it seems to me to be a kind of a self-evident topic. But as you said yourself, I mean, there have been great historians working on you know, the history of the environment in India, you yourself have referred to David Arnold and there's, you know, Mark Harrison and then Michael Fisher, Sarvanan's recent book, and of course, Ramachandra Koha. But they, all of them seem to have treated the environment as a kind of a non-urban phenomenon. And yet it is so central to the making of the urban in India. What explains, in your view, the, the lacuna in research or the lack of interest or the inability of historians to or the lack of interest of historians to join the dots? Uh, I don't know if it is lack of interest. I think, as I said, uh, things like forests and forest resources were a big part of the colonial project and therefore attracted a lot of attention. And cities, as far as cities were concerned, they were seen as marginal presence in this largely a warm country. And even within cities, what you got were a little bit on political movements within cities, or you got a lot on land and planning and urban planning and things of that sort. Occasionally, you also want a public health perspective. So what I've tried to do is, is borrow from these different uh, sets of readings and suggest that there is a way in which you can think about environment, how the city is constituted uh, also. It's, it's an environment in itself at different scales, so from, from homes to neighborhoods to the city at large, and how to study this. It's something that I must say that over the last 10 years, there's been fascinating work that's started happening around this. And there's a lot more work around now of younger scholars who are doing this. There's a fantastic book on Calcutta. There's more stuff coming around. Having said that, I think we still don't, I myself certainly don't, have a very good aerial sense of the city. You know, when we think of cities, we think of architecture, we think of land, we think of urban forests, we think of rivers. But air, uh, you know, seems to be an outlier. And what does it mean to think of cities vertically through air and atmosphere is something that I'm working with, and I hope that some of that will get reflected in the talk where I'm going with it. 
but it's something that's definitely worth exploring more. And I'm sure there are more people out there wanting to do this. This is very good work on rivers, urban rivers. So I'm sure this will also come along. Yeah, that's actually a very, very interesting point. I like the way you conceptualize this as a, what did you say, a vertical sense of the city? What does it look like? What an aerial sense of the city? And I think these are very interesting terms that can add to our understanding of the kind of conceptual frames that you are using. There is one point that I think you're going to bring up in your talk, which is about Orientalism. And it struck me that in a way, this is not just, and you've made the point yourself, that it's not just a material history, but it is also a cultural history. It's a history of you know sensibilities, of social relations, and how our understanding of smoke and air change these things, or how they are integrally interrelated. You also mentioned something which is quite central to imperial studies, or studies of imperialism, which is how Orientalism played a role in you know, in the way in which historians and generally the historiography on the subject has conceptualized climate or public health or disease or its entire sort of cluster of related themes. And it's well known that there was a kind of a hierarchy of civilization, if you like, depending on, you know, using these criteria of health and ill health, if you like. And you have used the term another tropicality. And you talk about, in a way, I think you are arguing that this kind of turns the Orientalist thesis on its head because it's not what comes out of the colonial concerns with pollution in the big cities of the Indian Empire is not the difference, which is what Edward Said always talks about, you know, and also not just Edward Said, but, you know, people like Metcalf and so on have always talked about difference as a central kind of criterion of imperial rule. But you talk about familiarity, you talk about sameness, and you talk about how these cities, how many colonial officials and, you know, people like us are talking about how this is kind of part of, if you like, a kind of a universal history, or what to them was a universal history of you know, the world as they knew it, then that it cuts across geography. But at the same time, there is also this need for greater protection for Indian cities that comes across. So it seems to me that there is, it's not quite Orientalism, and yet it is in a way, because we are talking about guardianship, you're talking about custodianship, and these do come across as kind of, you know, through the back door. These cities are the same, but we can do more, the state can do more in India. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think uh, what I've tried to suggest is not that the uh, you know, Orientalism should be, the thesis around that should be turned on its head or, or around tropicality. But I think when it comes to urban histories, we have to be much more precise in where we mark the difference and where we mark the similarity. Now, what I was struck by was that many of the laws that were passed in India were pretty much around the same time that similar laws were being passed in, in Europe, the USA, etc. So that sense of simultaneity struck me that uh, why is it happening? So does it have to be a general urban condition that people are talking about and concerned about? And if that is the case, that more or less similar things are happening in different parts of the world, how does one mark the difference? And so I did not start off with that idea that, you know, difference is central to this. I said, let me think as a thought experiment, what if simultaneity is central to this? And then let's mark more precisely where the differences are. And 
you know, there are a couple of things where I mark those differences very strongly. Politically speaking, the strongest difference comes that in Europe and in the US, the trust is in the municipality. That's what represents local order. That's where people are involved. There are civic associations that take part in these activities. But when it comes to India, the entire thing is given to government. And there are no civic associations that are invited. These are representatives of industry, some government officials, some inspectors. So it's a very differently managed state of affairs. Of course, it also gets racialized at certain points. Who can be the expert? Does it necessarily have to be a European? It turns out for the most part, yes. Very late in the day, by the 1920s and 40s, then Indians hope to become regulators of things like smoke. So for the most part, it remains a white European thing to be entrusted to certain commissions or committees, uh, not a people's thing, not a civic thing, not a municipal order. And that's something where you can clearly see the difference. But on other issues like what should matter, should efficiency matter, should health matter, should urban beauty matter, you find very similar debates in many parts of the world. So what I've tried to do and I'm suggesting is let's be very careful about how we mark the difference and how we mark the similarities. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it is absolutely, I think sometimes we run the risk as historians of allowing our politics and our convictions to, you know, kind of dominate the research. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's absolutely essential for historians to take a more granular approach when we deal with concepts and when we deal with grand theories, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's one of the, this is my final question, then I'll hand over to Kim again. Um, I think there's a point you mentioned, and this is about the project that you're doing for ICAS MP, which is a kind of a post-COVID thing, which is about the relationship between germs, the disease, viruses, and air, if you like. And I think you mentioned that this is, of course, new and very interesting work, but is it, I mean, there are histories of this as well, aren't there? And I wonder if I could push you a little bit about this, because the search for good air, you know, burn air, the even in you know northern European tourists went to the Mediterranean in search of good air. So I think, and the good air was to get away from disease and ill health, which was caused by very different conditions from tropical conditions, nonetheless from the cold. So how would your research fit in with this kind of a you know frame and an existing history? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> I wish I had an answer to it right away, but I have some thoughts on it. You see, the search for good air is a very old search in human history. In ancient times, in medieval times, you find people always traveling from one place to the other in search of better air, sometimes for better water and other things. My hypothesis is that for much of human history, this remained the search for good, quote-unquote, in natural air. Now, when you come to, say, 18, 19th, 20th centuries, what begins to happen is an appreciation of how much air and air quality is being transformed by human activities and how new environments are being created, both in Europe and in other parts of the world. So it's not just that you know new environments are being created in only one part. Sometimes, for instance, how can you generate more heat within Europe so that you can grow certain kinds of vegetables? So you have those experiments you know, around the indoor kind of things. So... This search, uh, I distinguish from earlier search for good air, to say that, yes, uh, uh, so when you talk, even, is there a difference between talking about viruses in late 19th, 20th century? 
I'm in the 21st century. And at this moment, I have a hunch that's different. You know, I was doing some research at the British Library, came across, see, there's a lot of concern around quarantine in the 19th and 20th century. But by 1940s, you get something very interesting, which is will yellow fever come to India via the aircrafts? Now, this is a very different, very new kind of thing that happens from the 1930s and 40s. So at different moments, there are modes of travel, more, you know, ways of, of setting up industry, etc., that become objects of concern. So the real thing is, you know, what happens when human activities, whether it's production or consumption or travel or whatever else it is, begins to have a major impact on the quality of air, and how do humans respond to that quality question in different parts of the world? Of course, I can't do all parts of the world, but I do try in my work to try and see if I can have literature from other parts of the world to compare, because otherwise you begin to produce a very insular account of only one part. So yeah, that's the hypothesis that at some point the concern begins to be with what humans are doing to quality of air and how can we deal with it. And again, there are huge things to be talked about. I haven't seen too much work, and, and maybe there is. I have, I'm not familiar. What happens to air quality debates with the coming of railways? You know, uh, we know about shipping and quarantine. We don't know enough about railways. So maybe there's more work to be done around all these things that hopefully will, will get done at some point. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Deep. I mean, I really like the point of, that you make about how area studies as all areas outside Europe and North America are described and can kind of contribute and are kind of an integral part of these broader themes mm -hmm. of global history that are such central concern to us today. I'll hand over to Kim now for possibly the final question. Yes, thank you very oh, much. I believe you. with your previous answer, you've kind of hinted at what I was going to ask, which is that I remember you stressed in the lecture that there's a difference between engaging with climate and engaging with climate change. So do you think that this focus on the what we call the Anthropocene and what humans kind of make as an influence on climate will lead to more focus on climate change instead of just climate? Yeah, I think the simple point that I'm trying to make is concern with viruses, concern with uh, climate, which you can see in the 18th or 19th century, early 20th century, is seen in a deterministic manner. Mm. When we revisit the questions in the 21st century, we are looking at the same things in a highly uncertain way, uncertain materially, uncertain in every which way. So the question is, if as a historian living in the 21st century in a highly uncertain what fresh perspective can you bring to the older questions and the older debates? So people who write on climate change, you know, climate had almost gone out of fashion till climate change happened. But now that we are worried about climate change, how do we revisit the issue of climate? And I think that there's something to be said in ways in which you can revisit it. How did people in the backseat, for instance, how do they imagine it? What are the concept of humidity? What are the ways of managing it? You know, there are, there are questions to be asked which we would not have asked if we were simply concerned with, you know, what is the climate of place X or Y. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a very fascinating and intriguing point to end on and hopefully leaves our listeners intrigued and wanting to also listen to your fascinating lecture. Thank you very much from both of us, I think. We really enjoyed talking to you and really hope that your listeners will enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Indra. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the German Historical Institute London podcast. 
Follow us on social media and check our website to keep up to date with new episodes.